Welcome to the Crack House Podcast. My name is Rick Bronson, joined by... Jack Galvin. And Matt Broom. And I'm Buck Newman. Producer Buck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, welcome, listeners. We're happy to have you aboard. We are a podcast bringing you comedy content from some of the biggest names in comedy, not just artists, sometimes producers, agents, promoters. Uh, we have a real interesting cast of characters that we're talking to, and uh, we're really excited to be bringing it to you. And we wanted to give you an opportunity on this podcast to get to know the guys behind the podcast, us four. Sure, maybe it's a little narcissistic, boys, but at the end of the day, um, you know, if we're going to be on air every week telling folks, you know, hey, please listen to us, I think we need to give them a reason. Yeah, and, and plus, when they listen to the episodes, you know, the focus isn't on us. It's on who we're, or who we're interviewing. Cool. And, and every once in a while, we'll throw things in, but I think it's good that, you know, everybody gets a little background to who we are. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I think you said it's about who we're interviewing, and I think today, to let our listeners know a little bit of about us, we're going to interview each other. Oh, All right. yeah. Oh. All right, so we're going to do the gang up thing here, boys. Three on one. I remind you, this is not a roast, okay? We're not. It is an interview, okay? Just because we're all pals in this room doesn't mean we're attacking each other. All right? Uh, so let's... Uh, who for some start? reason, I feel that that's not going to be the case for well, me. Well, maybe... No, you better watch out. Maybe with you, Matt. Maybe with you. Perhaps. You, you might be right. Uh, but let's start with our... Uh, uh, let's start with uh, Jack. Well, I say we start with Mr. Jack okay. Galvin. Jack Galvin. Sounds good. The real Jack. Gap, we'll go from the young one. Yeah, he is the right. young one. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our uh, co-host on the Crack House podcast, Mr. Jack Galvin, a uh, young stand-up comedian. And you're what now, Jack? Three and a half years in, three almost half, four years. Three and a half, four years in, yeah. And what got you into this crazy game we call stand-up? <laughs> it's a it's a it's a weird story. It's a it's a little bit of a sad story. Um, I've always felt I wanted to do something in the entertainment world, whether it be when I was younger, I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to be a country singer. I used to write country songs, and I wanted to be on stage doing that. This is a sad uh, story. Oh, yeah, uh, country it, singers it's are already sad. sad. It's That's already sad. Really sad I'm, much. I'm um, already turning this off. But my dad, uh, <laughs> he, was, he, he, he always wanted to be an actor, and he always wanted to do comedy. He talked about getting on stage on an open mic night and doing it. Um, from, I mean, I remember him telling me that eight years old, ten years old. I didn't really have an interest in it. As I got older, he always said, you should, you know, you should, I think you, you're good at, with music, but I think you should really do stand-up. He goes, people like you, you're quick. I, I think you'd be really great. We talked about it for years, and then... Um, Your father was trying to push you out of music into stand-up. Yeah, because he thought that that's where I would be better. Wow, this is, like, not doctor or lawyer. He no. He was pushing you from music to stand-up. He's not Jewish, uh, Rick. I no, know but that he, that's... He, he was pushing him from one high-failure uh, job role to another high-failure job role. I, I, he wasn't really setting his son up for success by saying, <laughs> you should try out for these two jobs that 20 million other people are also trying to achieve simultaneously at any given moment. He didn't want to ruin other people's dreams as well. Just his son's <laughs> then he went out for milk. And yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think, it, it, right, I think my dad sensed uh, something at a young age with me. And in, in school, I, w I wasn't really engaged in school. I really it wasn't my thing. I didn't try. I didn't get good grades. Not because I don't think because I wasn't smart, but I really just didn't care. And, uh, and he saw me a few years out of, out of high school, didn't go to college, um, he just saw that I was doing things that I really wasn't, you know, didn't want to do. And I think he, he knew that I wanted to get up and entertain people. Um, and he was just giving me options to show me how to do it. I think he, he didn't do what he wanted to do in his life. And I think he didn't want me to feel the same way when he got older. What and, did your dad do and what did he want to do? He was a salesman pretty much his whole life. But when he was younger... So in, he was a door-to-door -door stand up door to, Pretty much. I mean, my dad was way with people. I mean, he, he could talk to anyone. He could sell you... 
sell something to anyone. People loved this guy. And when he was younger in high school, he would drive from Cincinnati, Ohio, every summer to, Cal- to L.A. and do acting classes out there and workshops. He wanted to be an actor. And uh, senior year came, and he, was, he graduated, and he was going to leave. And uh, his girlfriend said, if you leave, I'm not going to go with you. And we're over, and he stayed. And oh, never, that's a never power went move. And pursued its country song, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> right. There it is. <laughs> and, uh, is it, was that girl your mom? Is that-, that was not my mom. This that girl ended up breaking up with him, I think, not even a year later. And by that time, he'd uh, gotten into UC, University of Cincinnati, and he was in a business program there. And I think that, that he was just going to go do that and follow his lead, you know, and, or follow the lead of, you know, his dad and people around him. And I think it bugged him up until the end. And the end is when he, at 57, he, he committed suicide. Awful. Yeah. Uh, and... Yet you still uh, pursued the stand-up comedy. Do you feel part of you is living out your dad's dream on his behalf? You know, I, I talked to a friend of mine about this a lot. Um, my dad's goal in life is he wanted to do stand-up, and he wanted to live in a college town uh, above a building. And I don't live in a college town, but I, I have a festival that's in a your college town. Your dad had a very strange dream. He, had a, he, had, he, 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 just, he, he wanted to, to live this life where he, 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 he did what he wanted to do, he lived in a small space in an older town filled with, you know, young people. And I don't think because, you know, any weird reason. I think Old he just town. wanted that energy around him. And uh, he wanted to be kind of left alone, <laughs> a little bit of a sense, too. Yeah, I want to live above the building. I don't want people bugging me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, you use the building, um, I'll be up here. And that's what he wanted to do. And, and when, he, when he died, I, I, I had just gotten divorced, and I had a son. And I, I, I said, I'm going to go do what I want to do now. To an extent, I have to take care of my kid, but I want to go live the life I want to live. Yeah, man. And uh, pursue something that I want to pursue. And so I think a little bit of, I think a little bit in the beginning, more so in the beginning, I felt like I was doing it for him, but now it's, it's, I'm doing it 100% for me because I love it. Good. Um, Where was your first start? Where did you get on first? Um, I took, uh, we've talked, uh, we talked about this in the podcast a little bit. We talk about classes and stuff like that and, and it, it, whether people th- agree with classes or don't agree with classes. I went to a class. I, um, about eight months after my dad passed, I took a class at one of the lower end comedy clubs in, um, in Scottsdale. And the first day I went, I got in my car, I made it to the parking lot and I never got in my car. And then the next week I said, I'm going to do this. I went. I think, I think you should, it's worth noting, what, what week was all of this going on? You were going to an open comedy class what right week? around a major sporting event? If I remember. It, was, it, was, it, was, it was Super Bowl weekend. It was Super Bowl <laughs> yeah. Sunday, yeah. the day I was going to class. And you, you're in I a car. Really <laughs> football too much. And I was just in my car just sitting there. And, and I couldn't go back home to where people were watching the game because I said I was going to be gone for like three hours. So I yeah. just went to another parking lot and I sat for three hours and waited to go home. Blew off the big game so for comedy and then ended up listening to the radio. something again in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went back the next week and I did it. I got on stage and I did five minutes of stuff I wrote down. And I luckily, there was someone in the class that was like, hey, man, um, uh, we're all going to go to open mics this week. You, want, you should go with us. And you know, gave me a list of people to, to get in contact with. I called some people off the hook, trying to see what time the open mic start and when to be there and all yep. that stuff because I was new and I had no idea what to do. And, and then after I started doing the open mics, I didn't, I didn't see the purpose in the classes at that, that time. So I just... Open mics are the classes, man, yeah. yeah. Now, what's interesting about you, what, I'm, uh, what I appreciate, is just uh, how immersed you are in, in comedy. 
uh, you're not just passionate about performing, but you are also a producer. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the fest uh, we took over the festival two years ago. Hillary Hudson and myself. We should let folks know that's the Big Pine Festival. The Big, Big Pine County Festival. Festival. And um, we, we, I dabbled a little bit in producing. I mean, helping Hillary, she started producing some shows at some low-end bars or, or local bars, and she, she got some comics for some other festivals, and she was producing a little that way, and then we got this opportunity, and um, I just saw the potential that it had not just for the festival, but for growth and me and meeting people and being able to, to, you know, take our brand and spread it out so much more with this wonderful festival in Flagstaff. And, um, I mean, I think we were right. I think it's, it's, it's it, you know, it got oh, no, You're definitely right. That little festival is becoming a, a, a huge <laughs> festival that people are talking about all across the country. It so. looks like somebody dropped a festival in downtown Flagstaff and it exploded out <laughs> everywhere. It's starting to feel that way. It's starting to get that way. <laughs> Um, and, and I do love that. I, 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 I'm not the type of person that just wants to do one thing. I, I want to do multiple things, and I want to get involved with other comedians. I saw the value in, in, in building a, a really good team around you, and not even just in comedy, but in just any aspect of life. My, dad, my dad's one always, his word of wisdom was, you know, whatever you, if you want to be successful in anything that you do, you have to find people that are good at the things that you're not good at. And, uh, and building a good team. And, and, and with producing that, I've been able to do that because I've been able to meet more people, put them on shows, give them opportunities, and grow with them. And it's been, it's been amazing. Uh, all right, to let our listeners know what inspires you comedically, who do you, uh, who do you look up to? Who are some of your comedic role models? Who uh, influenced you? Um, it, it, <laughs> Don't say Rick Bronson. <laughs> no, no, say Rick Brown. I mean, yeah. um, my influence in comedy at a young age, I, I, I feel like after talking to a lot of these people, a lot of these headliners and these, these veteran comics, they, they grew up really watching stand-up at a young age with people in their lives. or had, And I, I don't really have that. My dad was a big Ronnie Dangerfield fan, which was amazing, and I watched a few of the old specials. But when I got into comedy, I really f- fell in love with a, co- a comedian named Mike Birbiglia. Sure. And uh, I loved his ability to go on stage for an hour or so and tell a story that had a beginning and an end. And, um, and I think that's my, eventually my ambition in comedy is to be able to do a one-man show where you're telling a story. It has a beginning and has an end, but there's, you go on this crazy turns throughout it. You know? And he was one of my favorites. I mean, that, he was great. Uh, Nate Bergazzi, a lot of newer guys for me. I didn't, like I said, I didn't listen to a lot of comedy when I was younger. Bill Burr obviously is is amazing, but seems like you like people whose last name starts with a B. I do. Remember <laughs> him? Very Anglo-Saxon <laughs> white name, and then a B starting for the last name. But yeah, those are guys I look up to. Michael Biglia is definitely one of. I mean, he's he's at the top of my list. I I love what he does, and I want to be able to do what he does, because he makes you feel everything when he's on that stage for that hour. You're not just laughing. You're almost to the point sometimes where you get teary-eyed, and then he brings you right back, and then you feel everything. Because I think in comedy, when you get to a point where you're laughing so hard, and then you go to a place where your emotions change, those laughs come back even bigger the next time, I think. And I, and I want to figure out how to achieve that. Oh, break in the tension. Yeah, right? Yeah, when you're all like, oh, my God, why is he saying this? I wish he wasn't saying this. I'm so uncomfortable. And then, bam, boom, all right? of a sudden, the room feeling, erupts though. in I laughter. Like I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Is that a, is that a boring? 
No, I don't think it's, so. It's also it's a good awful. insight into why you do all that blue material. You know? No, I was, just, I was just waiting for Matt to ask a question so it wasn't just Buck and I doing all. So well, they understand was, that there's somebody just, else on the show. Matt's burping from the pizza. Right, I've never heard Buck ask so many things in my life, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to step I up. I actually didn't know Buck could talk. I, didn't I have to either. be honest with you. I didn't know. I actually thought when we did have him speak briefly on other episodes we've done already that he was being operated. Like, yeah, well, like I had to write the script for him. I'm like, Here, here's the, the line, line. Hit it. No, it's fantastic. Well, you have no great questions for me. I've been telling great stories here. Sad. It was, it was sad. sad. Very it was, sad. It was, yeah, very, tell us how yeah, you got yeah, I'm thinking in sad. retrospect when you cut this, uh, the pr- producer, Buck, maybe we don't start with Jack and the sad story. <laughs> oh, I was <laughs> thinking that the whole time. I was like, hey, I just got <laughs> to go. I got to be real. Jack, yeah, tell yeah, us about why you're on this incredible podcast every week. Well, this is a sad story. <laughs> it's the saddest story I've ever told. Tune in, everyone. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want, no, listen. I Look, there's going to be tears. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, portion brought to you by Kleenex. Uh, there's a very good chance I might commit suicide after I tell this story myself because it brings back such bad memories. Exactly how you host yeah, like, a comedy show. And you yeah, bring and, it down to and now over to you, Matt Broom. <laughs> yeah, we have the most exciting shows, and, you, and that was wow. That was wow. Um, this just became a hallmark moment, and I, I don't. It's a very good e Hollywood story. I'm gonna tell you right now, we're gonna get different listeners because of that little touching moment right there. Yeah, That's true. Yeah. Oh yeah. We okay. we just tuned into the fifty year old woman. People are gonna people are gonna tune in every time. week just to see if Jack made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tune in Jack, next week. Jack back. Jack back. Jack's back. We'll call the Jack back segment. <laughs> tune in next week or the blood's on your hands, folks. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we should do that segment every week. We just keep them quiet for the first three minutes of the episodes, and <laughs> yeah. listeners have to guess it whether Jack's on or Jack's off. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. we'll call Jack on, Jack off. I think it's perfect. Uh, the Jack off power. Oh, effort. Jack finally chimed in. It was eight minutes in. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Jack, tell us uh, outside of comedy, what are some of your other passions and interests, and then we'll, uh, we'll move on to one of the other guys in the gang here. Well, I mean, uh, p- passion-wise, I, I actually was... <laughs> I'm a big guy. You guys can't see me. I'm 6'4", 250. Probably should have played football or something like that, but I was a really big bowler, uh, almost a <laughs> professional. Uh, I, I do it still for fun, played a lot of softball. Sports is mainly my thing right now. I, I have a nine-year-old son, so I'm a little obsessed with uh, Little League World Series right now and uh, in coaching him. And I mean, that's... They still do I the put, World Series in Omaha? Omaha, Nebraska, is that right? It's not Omaha. Always Cooperstown, it, it, isn't it? No, it's, it, it's, in, um, it's in Pennsylvania. Uh, Will, Williamsport, Williamsport, oh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, That's right. yeah. Uh, uh, you're thinking of the College World Series is in Omaha. That's Nebraska. what it, I remember. They yeah. had like Cooperstown's a Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame is yeah, Cooperstown. Yeah. Up. There is a little league Cooperstown field though, and there's a big tournament down there as well. So you, yeah. there you go. But uh, I mean, if I'm not doing comedy, I'm really I, I spend as much time as I can with my son, and uh, he's really big into baseball right now. So that's kind of our world. Yeah, dude, know? he throws fast as hell. He's, he's, he's throwing a few he, things at me. Over like the I said, years. I'm a big guy. His mom's six foot. He's going to be a monster. He's nine. He's already like five foot tall. Yeah, he, pounds. he could convince you that he's like 14 years old. I'm oh, sure. Yeah. So dad's the comedian, and you're raising a son who can throw like a professional heckler. Fantastic. 100%. That's a good father. Son. Yeah, he throws tomatoes at Jack when he's working <laughs> yeah. his material out. Dad, let's play catch. Son, I'm doing stand up. Fine, I'll Why just are we chuck playing tomatoes. catch with tomatoes and you're the only one with a glove? <laughs> he does want to be a YouTuber. That's his goal, though. He wants to be a baseball player that also is a YouTuber on the side. What's he oh. want to do YouTube in? Yeah, just make videos, you know, just just, just throw just shit fast as hell. Live that life. I mean, just, just, ha- just he wants to just have a following. Yeah. 
you know? Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> so good luck on both of them. Good luck, buddy. <laughs> that's the trick. If he figures you it give out. give it all up and just be a stand-up, like Grandpa said, okay? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Now Matt Broom, <laughs> the reason I actually the re, there's a, there's actually a reason I wanted to go to Matt Broom because Matt Broom and I the one thing that we do have in common when it comes to stand up is that we both started at the age of thirty two, which is definitely an older time to start doing comedy. And uh, my question to you was, I, I obviously know why I started. What, what what made you get into the comedy game at thirty two years old? Uh, you know, I actually started doing comedy on on a fluke. I, I I never thought of comedy. Like I didn't. I was a class clown in high school, and I did a lot of acting. But I stand up comedy was never even on my radar. And uh, I was actually just at a local bar in Scottsdale, Arizona, with my my friend Tim. And uh, there was. It's a very friendly name. It's a, it, Tim's yeah, out, Tim's right? a very Tim's, Tim's, out, right? Tim's usually a good, good guy. Himself. Is himself now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we went to our local bar, and they were having a comedy contest there, and um, we were just sitting there watching, and the guy on stage was not uh, doing well, and I whispered to Tim, or I thought I whispered to Tim, <laughs> uh, that this guy sucked, and he heard me, <laughs> and he's like, well, if you think you could do better, why don't you get up here? And I'm like... Mm, okay, and uh, I went up and I ended up winning the contest. I was like, "Oh, this is easy." Yeah, and uh, that's how I actually got my start. It was right when I was at the time I was a regional director for Morgan Stanley, and uh, the market had just taken a dump. Yeah, uh, so you needed was, it. You, was you, going you needed that win bad. Yeah, and well, I still I was still it was still working and I was still making money at the time. And uh, were you hammered drunk when you went on stage? No, I'm not even really a big drinker. I don't even know why we were at the bar, to be honest with you. I think we went for... Because that's where the, that, that's where, that's where yeah, the ladies are. You were <laughs> doing comedy and you're not drinking. I just have to say, I don't feel this is an accurate story. I have seen many Matt Broom performances, and I don't believe he has started stand-up comedy yet. <laughs> well, I was going to say, after that first win, you're still looking for number two. I really am. It's been downhill since my first show. My first show was amazing. I did uh, improv. I don't even remember what I did. I did something about probably just a black crowd in work. the box and jumping out. Yeah, you actually was, did jokes? Yeah, I did jokes. Wow, okay. uh, I mean, it was a lot of well, crowd work. on a work. whim, you never know. Yeah. It was a lot of crowd work. Yeah, uh, did, did you say black in the box? Yeah, I, I talked about how my parents bought me, and, and what do you get a guy that's got everything, like a black kid, and then I, I they wrapped me up under the Christmas tree, and I... Popped out like a black in the box, and <laughs> I was in like uh, overalls, and I had a watermelon Jolly Rancher. I don't know. It was really why a stretch. Why did you throw those ones away? I, I don't yeah, know. The, the, I should probably those are comedy gold, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, I should bring those back. <laughs> it was on the spot. I didn't know it was no, going that's, on. That's, and it was really uh, just to throw it in Tim's and it face. Was, <laughs> and it was a lot of crowd work. And then I went on to the next round, and I tried to do crowd work again, and... Uh, Failed miserably, like it was the worst bombing ever. And I was like, "Oh, this is not as easy." Yeah. Um, and I stopped. I, I didn't do anything for a while. And then um, again, the market turned, and I kept going to different companies, and they kept chaining the doors. And because I was doing subprime mortgages, which uh, became to be a big what, what is the subprime mortgage? Subprime mortgages was where basically uh, subprime mortgage is the reason why I'm in this home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know it's, it's less than prime. I mean, it was it's not the, ideal. It was all the foreclosures. <laughs> we were doing the very creative loans where we had like a bus driver that made thirty two thousand, but he had an eight hundred FICO score, and we'd give him a seven hundred fifty thousand dollars house. Yeah, all right. Because it was going to go up a hundred thousand, and he was going to move out of it the next year. We didn't care. So it was like stated income, stated loans. 
was all the verbal stuff. It was what basically brought the country. Like to you the just walk in and be like, I can afford this house. And be like, I believe him. Yeah. Get him a house. The, the adjustable house. mortgages, <laughs> and the, the interest only payments, and, you know, making the American dream come true for everybody. Yeah, for about 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> so, where, what's the uh, story from you? Where did you grow up? How did you end up here? And uh, why comedy? Uh, well, I've, uh, I've always, like Jack, I've always performed. I was, I started performing, um, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, uh, and I moved, uh... Home of the Whopper? Is that right? Home of the Am wing, I think the, the, the Buffalo Wings. Buffalo Wings, that's what it yeah. was. I did some bar. food item associated is, with that. It is. They're fantastic. I got the original recipe. I'll share it with you guys is that later true? in the episode. It is true. That's unbelievable. And then I relocated... <laughs> Uh, to New Mexico, of all places, because my dad uh, was a very uh, friendly guy, and he got a little too friendly with a mobster's wife. Oh, no. And uh, we had to relocate to New Mexico. Um, and, That's true. Uh, That's a true story. It is a true story. Your dad yeah. does not look like the type of guy that would get close to anybody's was a, wife. Was a <laughs> Let alone a mobster's <laughs> wife. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I, I think I'm allowed to talk about it now, but yeah, we, we definitely had to... Go. I mean, who moves to New Mexico? No one moves to New Mexico, uh, purposely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always assumed people were just there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like where they you're supposed to take the left turn, like Looney Tunes. Yeah. Where do you go to New Mexico? There. You're like, yeah, there's people here already. How do you like so, that? Yeah, and then my dad continued cheating, so uh, it, they got divorced, and uh, he married my stepmom, who was a a drama teacher, and uh, they needed a an orphan. To play in this Christmas show, and your dad's like, "I got one of those." And my dad's <laughs> like, "I got one." <laughs> the, the, the role was built for me, <laughs> and I wasn't supposed to say anything. I was just standing on stage, and I ended up unwrapping some present, and there was a hammer in it. And I knocked myself out with the hammer, and the whole crowd went crazy and started laughing. And I was like, "Was that improv? Is... You were supposed to knock yourself in the no, head?" No, yeah, it was improv. Like okay. I just didn't want to stand there anymore. I had ADHD, <laughs> and uh, like the the roar of laughter that I got that one time when. When I was five, I was like, I <laughs> love performing. And I ended up doing, I, I, I joined like Albuquerque Children's Theater. And, you were and five? Yeah. I'm glad so you got off the jackass. and last laugh were by was the was five years old, yeah. And I've been wow. chasing that dream ever wow. since. You ever are since. passionate, sir. <laughs> I just like True. that you went the longevity route. You're like, I can't smash myself in the face with hammers forever. Yeah. I'm going to have to come up with a new episode. way to perform. And plus, <laughs> and plus Gallagher does have a yeah, trademark right? infringement <laughs> copyright, I believe, on that move. Yeah, you saw Gallagher hit a watermelon. That's brilliant. I did a lot of acting uh, all growing up, and but my parents were very, uh, acting is not a real career. You need to get a real job type of thing. And so, you should have yeah. had Jack's dad. I know. If I would have had Jack's He would have pushed you into many failing, <laughs> failing industries. Yeah, right? I would have been in the ballet right now. I would have been the star of the Nutcracker or something. So yeah, no, that's how that's how I actually started comedy. Was it was a flute contest, and then, yeah, uh, and then uh, and right away did you say I'm doing this, or did it did it take a few months to no, get back I on stage? It took a, it was actually probably about a year after that. Uh, you took it that's probably about, about how long it took for you to stop having sex with I all bombed. the ladies that were impressed with your opening yeah, set. Yeah, I, there was a lines waiting for me. Um, yeah. Actually, I was I was still married at the time. I was married in my first marriage at the time, so there was not lots of ladies uh, at that point. But um, yeah, that's changed. That's changed a lot. Yeah. <laughs> See, you're making moves. I found a new passion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why well, have one when you can have multiple? <laughs> you know, when you have the cure for cancer, why keep it to yourself? <laughs> you know, when something's that good. 
Thank you, Dr. Like they Spock. describe You're your sexual prowess as the cure to cancer. <laughs> <laughs> it works every time. It works. I should probably stop hanging out at hospitals. All right, so some of your uh, comedy uh, passions and uh, and who are uh, sorry, some of your early influences in comedy. My influences were uh, I, I was always a huge fan of Bill Cosby and Eddie Murphy. I thought those two were were the greatest storytellers ever, and uh, I actually saw Bill Cosby live um, in concert. My mom took me, and it was the first time I actually laughed out loud at anything. Like I'm I'm kind of a smiler giggler, like the the guy that you don't want at a comedy show. Um, I keep it to myself, but I, I saw Bill Cosby do himself, Bill Cosby himself, and I it, I was rolling in the aisles. Like, it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. And so, and at the time, um, I think I was probably in eighth grade when I saw it, and then I, I joined, like, speech and debate in high school and, and started doing performances like that. What's and, speech uh, and debate like? I've heard that that's actually a really good thing to do in high school. Oh, it's fantastic because it's, I mean, there you think of it as like the nerdy whatever, but you, yeah. I got to travel all across the country. I got, um, I won state my, my freshman year for a humorous interp, which is basically stand up, but it's scripted. Really? And uh, I, was a, I was a freshman. I got a scholarship to any college I wanted uh, my freshman year. And then it, you get to travel everywhere. For and then, debate? Well, the, so there's debate, which I wasn't a part of because you have to have, like, knowledge and look things up, <laughs> and right. that's not my thing. <laughs> and then they had the, the speech part, which is, like, uh, humorous interp or duo acting or, ex, uh, you know, extamer, ex, extra, I can't even say. Extraterrestrial. Speech. Speech. Yeah. <laughs> Such exactly. A, such a great speaker. I, I think you finished yeah, the story right, right there. Yeah. Someone give uh, him a college degree. Yeah, and then he said, "Fuck it, I'm going to the Marines." Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, then he mooned so, everyone and signed up yeah, for the America army. Feels <laughs> America feels safe. I went into the Marines because I did have a scholarship to ASU, and then I, I uh, blew out my knee playing hockey. Uh, I was very into sports, and uh, I lost my track scholarship. The drama scholarship didn't really pay for much, yeah. and uh, so I, I decided to. Uh, the Marine Corps offered me. Sixty thousand dollars to to join, and so I, I joined the Marine Corps so I could finish paying for college and yeah. all that stuff, and and so that's what I did. I wanted yeah. to go tour the world and see new places. Thank you for your service. And where did you end up going? Uh, I my first duty station was Japan, um, which is where I, I injured myself but didn't know it. Uh, but I was in Japan, Thailand, Korea, Australia. Um, and then I pretty much finished my career in, in California and. Uh, El Toro before they closed it down, which is in in Irvine, California, right by Disneyland in Anaheim, and then I moved down to San Diego to Miramar, and uh, that's where I, I got out of the Marine Corps. Yeah, I thought you I thought you finished your uh, Marine Corps oh, when your parachute didn't open all the way. No, no. Uh, when I was rappelling out of the, the helicopter, <laughs> no, that was actually my first year in the Marine Corps. Really, you kept uh, a lot and, less I, and I, I stayed in for three more years after that. And and they had you just running around with a broken back in the Marine Corps until I went to a real doctor uh, <laughs> <laughs> afterwards, and they're like, "How did you get in here?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And they're like, "You yeah. have a broken back." 
That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. So who does the Marine Corps send their patients to if you got to see a real doctor after exiting said Marine Corps? Well, so in the Marine Corps, they have the, the Navy doctors that are the, the doctors basically in training or the ones that didn't make it in the real world. <laughs> or the ones and, that are just big fans of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they, they're, they're not known for uh, being the best at what they do. And in their defense, they don't have the best supplies or materials. We don't have all the latest, greatest machines, and all that machines stuff. like they do at, at the regular hospitals. And so the military doesn't. Their their <clears throat> cure for everything is uh, rub some dirt on it, and take some ibuprofen, and and you some know low, suck it up. Low Windex. So yeah, maybe we should get the Marines to start outsourcing some of that to like the Buffalo Bills. Seems like they got a hell of a medical staff. That's true. <laughs> Why you know what? <laughs> Well, my king bag is back. Why are we going to talk about my bills that way? Let's, let's talk about my no, bills. No, I'm just saying they're frequently injured. But they come back quick. <laughs> they come back quick. What's wrong with that? A lot of them are back, same game. Doesn't affect the outcome. His back's not broken. He's yeah. still big quarterback. <laughs> like, why do we even fix that guy's back? We're still down by 25. Well, this this just become just as depressing as Jack's story. This, this episode is going nowhere. Is no, what this I'm is only sad for you. Jack's oh. story was sad for everyone. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah we are not Bills fans. You understand? No one else should be a ghost Except for you. Everybody was feeling things when it was just me. Well, there you have it. I hope you learned a thing or two about Mr. Matt Broom. Uh, and again, we encourage you to tune in and uh, listen to us beat the shit out of him. I mean, it's really that simple. It's, it's really yeah, he really left a trail simple. of exploded body parts, it sounds like. Broke yeah. your knee in hockey back in the Marines. Yeah, yeah. It was a, I had a colorful life. You lived a life. Did you fall down and snap a wrist skateboarding or anything? Or? No, no. And he's only no. 64. Only, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Smashed himself in the face with a hammer to get started. But, you know, the, the best thing about this podcast and, and the reason that I, uh, I'm so happy about it is it gives us a chance to, we hear all the comics on stage and, and being a comic, we, I get to see all these celebrities and meet all these great people. But really the... The best comedy that we ever have is when we go out after a show and go to Denny's and eat, and and we get real with each other and find out everybody's backstory. And that's kind of what this podcast is about. It's it's letting people in to meet all these people that they see on stage and find out exactly who they are and, and how they came up. And fly and on the wall for private conversation. Yeah. yeah. And by the time you're done, you'll feel like you just ate at Denny's. I think one of the interesting perspectives on the uh, on the show this year, our, our, our this year, but our podcast moving forward is that uh, because we have uh, many different people from different stages of their comedy careers taking part in hosting roles on this show, and Buck just being a huge avid comedy fan, oh, big time! Uh, so I think that gives us the ability, you know, to really have an interesting perspective for multiple different listeners out there. So uh, we hope you tune in with us frequently. And speaking of producer Buck, I think. I think it's time to find yep. out why the hell he decided to join us. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> well, you know, he's had some free you time. You actually have a skill. You have make a trade. You have a talent. Fuck. Why are you with us? I don't know. You guys, you guys story. make me laugh, I suppose. You know? Plus, we had some pizza earlier. Big fan of pizza. <laughs> big fan of pizza. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just, I just, I, like you said, I'm a big comedy fan. And uh, as honestly as I could possibly answer this question, I just don't want to go back to corporate America again. And, uh, I'll, I just learn whatever skill I have to to be able to stay outside of that environment in a creative space where I can kind of see 
Because you weren't what you, my voice. You would were be not like, well yeah. versed in this off the bat. You helped. You brought someone in. Yeah, my buddy. He got Felix. too busy. Yeah, and Felix was great, but he got too busy, and then you literally spent days with him figuring this out. Yeah, and, yeah. and getting it down pretty quick. Yep, yep. And my buddy uh, and my other buddy Lacapa, they're both sound engineers, and so yeah, I was just like, dude, can you guys teach me? Like, I have an opportunity to create something that I think would be cool, and uh, just I don't know, I don't know what'll happen, but. I figure if we just try it, we'll figure it out, you know? And so they were kind enough to teach me how to run all this software. And you guys provide the talent every week. You know, we've got nationally touring comedians hey, coming easy, in. easy, Matt's sitting there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's just so cool, you know? We get to sit here, and, and, and I've always wanted to be a fly on the wall for these conversations with people. The amount of experience that everybody brings into this, you know, like... Rick, like, you've been doing it for so long, and these nationally touring headliners, like, they're all over the country, and uh, we could just create something that gets that knowledge and experience out so that more people can listen to it and share it. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is, uh, we're very fortunate that because we have multiple rooms and we have access to a lot of the big comics that are currently touring, um, that we have been exposed to some great uh, comedians on our podcast, and I think our listeners are really going to appreciate some of the episodes that we have coming up for them. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, just yesterday's episode that we recorded that we laid oh, down. Said, yeah. I mean, yeah, with Roy come on, Wood. Roy Wood Roy Jr., Jr. How, how great a guy is that guy? Dude, and he knows so much about, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff, which is what is really interesting, because everybody has their favorite performers, and we all love comedy, but what you don't get is how, like, what's the recipe, you know? How's the bread made or whatever? Right. And how much work is behind the scenes? I mean, Roy is one of those guys, I mean, he's up... 22 hours a day, either writing, proofreading, you know, doing things for the Daily Show, doing stand-up, doing... He... To, to be successful in comedy, everybody thinks it's just getting on stage and telling jokes for 45 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is. 2% of, of comedy is when you're on stage. The rest of it is when you're off stage, doing all the work that you need to do to get to that point. And that's what we hear from... All the successful comics that are out on our, on our show, yeah. if, if you listen to the man hours that they put in every day to make this happen, it, it's, it's insane. No, for sure. Yeah, and Roy Wood Jr. is great, but uh, Matt, I do believe this was supposed to be my segment. No. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, uh, Buck, we, we pretty much Buck, touched we on everything. Uh, we now. were trying to say Roy amazing Roy things Jr. about you, we like, asked that you Dwight, had a skill, yes. and you're like, no, I just learned we this. We met Roy Wood Jr. one time. That's, I guess, the best I thing I watched a YouTube guy, video but... and figured out how to do this. <laughs> we asked why you were here. I think that's enough. <laughs> no, no, I was just joking. No, no. Buck's <laughs> also a comedian, too. He is a comedian. He's not only just our engineer, but he's also a comedian as well, and in a big part of the Big Pine Comedy Festival. So tell us more about you, Buck. I'm sorry for, yeah, for well, derailing. Well, you know, I specialize in making rooms erupt into laughter, <laughs> which is a pretty neat skill to have. No, but what, what, what possessed you to get, and what, how old were you when you got into stand-up? Oh, man, I've been in stand-up. Like, so my whole life, basically, I remember uh, finding Norm MacDonald, like, very, he did, like, a, in 1990, 91 or something like that, he did, like, an HBO special. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I came across that. My dad had all these old VHS tapes where he would just like record HBO every time it was like free for the weekend or something. <laughs> and so we just had this cabinet of it's old It's a very Lima, Ohio thing to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> he must have a pretty hefty porn stash. Huh? Yeah, well, he had it. We wore it out pretty quick. I, you know, I had adolescence. But, no, um, but I found a Norm MacDonald uh, tape, 
And it was just like the funniest thing in the world to me. And that was like the first thing that I ever really like memorized the jokes. I would tell my friends. And then, you know, like I ran into like Seinfeld and started getting into Carlin. Like Sarah Silverman was uh, a big inspiration. Just people that are just like one very... of the comics that we actually interviewed, uh, you were there for. It yeah. was one of the first ones you did, Ben. Oh, Ben Glebe. Ben yeah, Glebe. yeah. And you, got, you had a great moment with him where you talked about. Loving some of his videos. Yeah, he did an internet video. He's like, I can't believe you watched that. In yes, life. yes. Uh-huh. Let's 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 not remind our audience just yet that they're gonna have to look forward to <laughs> producer. Yeah, producer Buck fanboying out in front yeah. of Ben Glebe. Yeah, yes. show. I don't know, man. I just I dug it. I love that show, man. I touched myself to that show. Well, I happened to be touching myself when it was on. I don't know that that we're related. But. So those were kind of things that you. Got you into comedy? Well, so, and I, I just loved it, you know, mm-hmm. just, like, my whole life. I've just really loved watching comedy and recreating it, and then, you know, people would tell me, like, you should you should try stand-up comedy, and where where I came from, in Lima, Ohio, it's, it's, a, it's a smaller city, so it was, like, 40,000 people or something like that. Uh-huh. The biggest celebrity that I'm aware of was, like, Phyllis Diller and Hugh Downs were from there, like, okay. in the 40s. And so, I mean, that's like the most current example I can think of, and I'm probably <laughs> forgetting some people. Al Snow, professional wrestler, you know, like we got some cool people, but uh-huh. it was always like something on TV. And so I had like my life just took me on a series of adventures where I just kind of took a chance on things, and uh, and I wound up one of my uh, best friends, Kyle, in Cleveland. He started doing stand-up comedy, and so then it went from something on TV to like something a person I know does like I now know like the entry point to it, it. felt yeah. more tangible right and so that's like opening my eyes of like I never really even had a desire to leave the city that I grew up in you know I love the people there and it's like beautiful countryside and I love the seasons changing but you're like I'm gonna make it I'm moving to Phoenix well <laughs> yeah a series of decisions like kind of landed me in Phoenix I never planned really any of it but there's just, you know, like, my buddy Kyle's like, you should do it. And then I ran into a friend uh, who does it out here locally. And he was like, yeah, I started doing it. And so now I've found, like, an open mic here. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, having a hard time in corporate America. And I was kind of getting, like, pressured to leave. And just really, like, like you're a square peg in a round hole kind of thing. Like, I don't belong here. And, yeah. uh, and so once I did stand-up comedy, I was just like, ah, to hell with it. You know, it's like jumping off a cliff or something. Like, you sign up on the list, and then you have to go. And afterwards, it just felt like, this is it, man. Like, you know, some, it, something about it. this, but, like, I know how to do it now. Yeah. And so I've just said yes to every opportunity that comes my way and just do my best to figure it out. I never know what I'm doing. But, <laughs> you know, like, you hone in on it, and, and now I, I we're here. I don't think really knows what they're doing. I think they all just find a way to make what they do kind of work. I think they're yeah, always right? unsure. I mean, a joke is always a calculated risk. Whenever you yeah. tell it, you never mm-hmm. know for sure if yeah. it's going to get the reaction yeah, yeah. that you want, right? Yeah, and it's like an A-B test. It's like, I'm just going to go tell it. And it may or may not work. And then, okay, it didn't work. So I'll change some stuff and tell it again. And then you start to hone in on what is going to get a reaction out of people. Well, the same joke can be different for every single audience, too. So you never, yeah, you never know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. There's a lot of, you know, uh, pieces going to it. 
But no, it's cool. But that's me, you know. And so I'm doing a, a show a couple times trees. a year back home now. No, like, no diseases, no deaths, mm-hmm. nothing, no, nothing. No, tall, good looking. I skateboard three times boy. a week. You looks know, like I don't know. Looks like he should be on a surfboard and well, right it's cool. Now. I don't make that much money, but you know, like I'm super happy right now, and and I just it's cool. You know, I'm I like bald, making I'm, people I'm laugh. Balding <laughs> over here, and I may not make it to tomorrow if you ask for it. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, <laughs> check in on you every week, buddy. We care, you know. Thank you. Well, it's good to have you aboard, yes. producer yeah, Buck. We're happy for having you join the program. Uh, I'm going to go to the man, the myth, the legend himself, Rick Bronson, who uh, is is the host of the show when he's here. Because uh, when when he's here, no one else gets to talk. And so this why is, would, my, why, this why is would the time. We, why would we talk? Why would, that's true. <laughs> what would we <laughs> have to say? He has a plethora of knowledge and he brings so much to the show. The best thing about the podcast is, again, we have the greatest comedians, that, you know, from, from the the people that are budding stars and just getting on TV now to, to seasoned veteran celebrities. But we also have the club owners, and he brings the music. And Rick Bronson does it all. He is Not, the master. I heard him playing the piano earlier uh, yeah, today. Yeah, he was playing the piano. We've, we've <laughs> had some phenomenal podcasts where he plays the piano and the banjo and the skin flute. And uh, <laughs> he, he's got so much talent. He's, I mean, what's, what's the old saying? Jack of all trades, master, master of none. Of that is exactly right. Rick Bronson. That was a solid intro. That was a Ladies and gentlemen, with no, Rick Bronson, how are you? What are we doing? Well, apparently, I talk too much, so uh, let's go with, uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> that was your question? The, you no, my question for the, the question is, I, there's so many questions. You started comedy at 15, right? Uh, yes. Or magic. Was it magic no, or I comedy? No, I magic at 12. I was a magician at 12. Well, I was already really a professional magician. I was taking paid gigs doing kids' birthday parties. <laughs> at 12 but, years uh, old? 12 Which tells years you old. there's really not a lot of entertainment in Canada. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> no, there, it was a real stretch. So easy, even a kid <laughs> The coldness <laughs> makes you hard-pressed for entertainment. There's no question. Uh, can I jump in? Yeah. You can. Because I, I want to... Because, like earlier, I said, we started comedy later. Matt and I did. We started at 32. I, I have no idea what kind of mentality you have to have at age 12 or age 15 to get on stage in front of adults. Oh, yeah. And, and, and be so vulnerable. Like, what, I mean, what, how, how, what led you to starting that that young? Well, ultimately, I remember the... I remember what motivated me to make the move to go do a a comedy club, but I don't know what innately motivated me. I don't know what drove me, the desire to want to jump to something like that at a young age. But uh, I remember just being part of a high school variety show, and one of the guys, I did magic in it, and one of the guys did comedy in it. Yeah. And kind of like Matt's story with his cockiness and arrogance, <laughs> Mr. Black in the Box. Um, <laughs> I I saw my friend do comedy, and I just felt that was funnier than him. I felt like the magic tricks that I did were had comedy infused in him, and they were funnier. And um, did you ha- did did you already at that point find yourself having to be funny at home or something like that? Were you the person that had no, to be I was funnier kind of the naturally funny? the class clown. I was an overweight kid growing up, so I was either going to be the fat kid that got picked on, or I was going to be the fat funny son of a bitch that shut you the hell down. Yeah. When really? you picked on me, yeah. 
So I chose the latter route. So I was definitely the class clown. I know that I was uh, probably the most outspoken in class. But really, it was seeing my friend uh, do comedy and found, finding out that he was performing at the local comedy club in, uh, in Montreal at the time, the Comedy Nest, motivated me to go audition for the uh, owner of the Comedy Nest and become a paid regular almost immediately. Really? Yeah, at a young age. And how, how old was that? that 15. Was 15? So, I mean, parents had to take you then, right? I mean... Yeah, as a matter of fact, one of my uh, good pals at the time was Jeff Rothpen, who's a very successful comic and writer in uh, Los Angeles. As a matter of fact, he writes professionally for Jeff Dunham. And a lot of people credit him with uh, Jeff's success because uh, he was very much Jeff behind the... Uh, uh, Jeff Rothpen, not uh -huh. Jeff Dunham, was behind the writing of the uh, Ahmed routine, the uh, the doll, the uh, terrorist doll. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so Jeff's been uh, writing for him for a long time, but also wow. written on several other projects. Okay. He and wrote he most of your material, didn't he? No, he did not write that. <laughs> <laughs> Ahmed did. <laughs> Ahmed did <laughs> when he was 16 years old, I was 15, and the uh, two of us uh, uh, co-headlined the comedy nest at uh, at those ages, we were combined age of thirty one years and in front of adult crowds, right? in front of adult yeah. crowds. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. What, do you, what, what were you talking? What were you? What were you guys talking about? Yeah, how do you relate to an adult at yeah, fifteen? Yeah, well, I mean, I was lucky, I guess. Well, I started as a prop comic. I was doing comedy and okay. magic, so I was able to do. Mine didn't have to have a story. It just had to have you know funny, and it had to have a, a bit of wow factor, razzle dazzle. If you will. Yeah. And um, so the transition was easy. I basically evolved my kid's birthday party show into a live stand-up show. And it worked? Yeah, it absolutely and, worked. And, and prop comedy is the natural transition from magic to stand-up. Well, it is, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But then I just got tired of also being picked on by a new group of people, not my classmates for being the fat kid, but the other comedians, the comedians. at the comedy club for being a prop act. And I quickly dropped the props and... Uh, uh -huh. Uh, not only did I go to, on to do just stand-up, but I kind of took a, uh, an attack approach myself, which uh, I kind of find uh, interesting when, uh, when you break it down like that. You are an insult comic, I, but I, not harsh. I'm not like an insult in the, in the terms of Don Rickles, no. but I like to involve the audience in my show. I like to talk to them. When they say something that puts me off or that's uh, just kind of inspires me to say something funny back, whether or not it's at their, uh, you know, that I'm expense taking a shot, <laughs> shot at them at their expense, exactly. Um, I, I'm comfortable doing that because I, I'm fortunate that I have a certain amount of likability on stage that gets me a little bit of uh, latitude when doing a, a little bit of picking on people. Well, and and with that, I mean, you've been so you've been in comedy. You're you're what sixty now? So thank you, Matt. You're, yes, no. <laughs> Quick, your grandfather, <laughs> grandfather of comedy over here. I will be fifty in November of 2018. But you've been in. When did you switch from touring comic? Because you, oh, just let's let's hear about your background. You you toured. You did all the comedy. You I were the number one as in college. Went into comedy. Became a uh, stand up comic at fifteen. Worked mostly locally and regionally for three years. Uh, so I wouldn't really call myself a full fledged touring comic. But then began touring extensively at around eighteen. After I dropped out of college, breaking my parents' hearts. Oh, and uh, decided to go on to do uh, comedy full-time. 
And uh, I was pretty lucky that I was able to uh, have some uh, pretty quick success because I was able to get to uh, 45 minutes set rather quickly. And so I was headlining very early on in my career. So at least I was already getting paid week gigs, you know, in other comedy clubs and worked for the Yuck Yucks chain up in Canada. And, uh, yeah, I was uh, able to make a pretty good living for you, especially when you consider I was doing all this as, you know, 18, 18 years, years, 19 old. years old, yeah. where you still don't need that much money to live off of. And, uh, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was do certainly doing pretty good for my age. Then was able to parlay that into uh, some television. I produced my first series at a young age, very lucky, right out of the gate. The first show I ever shot a pilot for, we sold and uh, really? one uh, for it was one. a travel series called The Tourist, and it was on the Travel Channel here in America, but it was on a, you know, about 30, 40 other countries across the globe. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And you did, the, you did the college that you have and I was records. A, I did a, the college market for a long time in Canada. Yeah, I hold a record. I'm the eight-time college comic of the year in Canada. Which is unbeatable. Everybody's been chasing that dream for uh, the longest it's time. It's unbeatable. <laughs> no one's don't, even... don't bet against that. Yeah, one guy was close and his knee exploded. There, well, he, I think <laughs> the, the closest one was six years in a row, right? Was it, was it six? I don't know. Everybody wants no, the title. Think, They're I never going to get it. maybe a two in a row, maybe a three, but I don't even think it's that high. I oh, it's not even that high. And... So then when did you convert from... Worldwide entertainer to club owner, uh, or why not, did you? Why? Well, the why I can tell you, uh, it was not planned. It was never part of the uh, part of the routine. Uh, it was never scheduled. Uh, but I have a very severe Crohn's disease, and I got very sick. I remember exactly when it was because I woke up in a hospital uh, uh, on 9/11 after my third surgery in about four days, watching. 9/11 uh, happen uh, while high on painkillers attached to a PCA per, uh, patient controlled analgesic um, and uh, sitting in a room watching wow. watching it happen it was the most surreal experience of my, plus while I was at the lowest point of my life going through hell and I mean uh, my my physician thought I was going to die he thought it was as close to a near death scenario huh. as one could come but I pulled through and um, at the end of the day, after I did get better, after months and months and months, one, I watched my bank account drain because when I'm not on the road performing, there's no money no coming in. Um, and after I got out, I talked with my wife and we figured we needed to find another way to be able to uh, make a living without it being reliant on my health because at that point we didn't, didn't know what to know, expect. Yeah. yeah. So we... Uh, there was a comedy club in uh, West Edmonton Mall where I'm living. I met my wife there. I grew up in Montreal, but I met my wife in Edmonton. And when we were there, um, the Yuck Yucks decided to move out. And I approached West Edmonton Mall ownership by saying, hey, I can replace that comedy club and do something better. And I went in there a little arrogantly and a little cocky, <laughs> but uh, we ended up being very good friends and, and then later down the years, business partners. And uh, we ended up opening our first location in West Edmonton Mall. And, um, yeah, if it weren't for the fact that I had Crohn's disease and I got very sick, I probably would have continued trying to pursue my dream as a stand-up comic and a performer. I always had aspirations to be a writer, uh, be on a writing staff somewhere, and work with a writing team, you know, be part of a creative ensemble. I just have always really loved that. But what I do love about the 
working under the umbrella of stand-up and now owning a club. I'm still under the umbrella, st- the stand-up umbrella, and I've been able to work in many facets of comedy, whether it's been comedy TV or comedy film, mm-hmm. uh, writing comedy, literature, you know, a print magazine, uh, stand-up, of course. Uh, I like that we have the ability to, uh, and I think it suits a lot of comedians who I believe are innately ADHD, that when you get bored of doing something for a little while, you can kind of jump over to something else and make it feel uh, fresh again. But yet you're still doing what you do. You're just now doing it in another uh, in another genre, from stage to television, television yeah. to film. Yeah, still in the industry, making yeah. people laugh. That's what it's all about. Ultimately, huh? you're yeah. still doing what you were taught to do, or not even so much taught, but been given, I truly believe, a gift to do. Yeah. I think people that uh, are able to make people laugh from a young age, they didn't go to classes to learn comedy. I think they were just born with a gift, and there's some people that are. Sure. And not to say that aren't other comics that can't develop comedy. I mean, you want to talk about comedy development? Mitch Hedberg used to be my opening act. And for the longest, and as long as I knew Mitch, and as long as he opened for me, I never saw Mitch Hedberg do well. I only ever saw him do yeah. okay or just struggle because audiences just didn't know what to make of him, man. He was so yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. And then when he hit and people understood and their comedy IQ raised and they saw how brilliant this son of a gun was, um, you know, he became... Became who he is now. Yeah. Who we remember him as. Well, and that's, a a, that's an amazing thing. Because you've worked... And you see, by the way, so just many. based on my answers compared to your answers, do you now understand why I fucking talk more than both you <laughs> on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Producer yeah. Buck, can I have a vote on this? Objectively, please? I think you got him on that you one. You get to <laughs> talk <laughs> as much as you want because you sign our checks. We never argued with you. Yeah, I didn't hear one of your body parts explode in all those stories. Which I guess maybe the crows. His whole, the crows, <laughs> his whole body explodes. Yeah, but... So we got you on that, too. But the the okay, <laughs> I will give Rick props right now. The, the and best plus, part. Let's be honest. I'm older than both of you, so all I do have, and I totally get this now, and I didn't get it growing up because you always thought old people were fucking crazy. But uh, my life experience. It's not that I'm all you know. I when we talk funny, Hillary's working here from Big Pine Festival behind us, and when she always talks about be, hanging around with me, she enjoys it because she thinks I'm so smart. And I always say, Hillary, I don't think it's smart. I think it's just longevity. I think it's knowledge. And maybe it requires a little bit of intelligence to retain that, you yes. know, and main, you know, use that as a resource moving forward uh, and recognizing it as a good education, as a good learning uh, moment. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, I believe that. No, I, I, I disagree with that. I think it's definitely got to be intelligence and smarts. I mean, you went from a child magician slash comedian to a, a club owner, which... There are so many comics that do try to become club, club owners, and it fails miserably. You have a wonderful mind for business. But I think a lot of comics, and this is not to insult other comics out there that turn club owners, but, I mean, I toured clubs. I toured the entire country. I mean, I did that forever and ever. And I've met these club owners, and I think a lot of the comics that are turned club owners, not, not all, but many, we're often failed comics that more or less open a club to get themselves uh, stage get themselves time. Stage yep. time. Yeah. And I was a very busy comic. I was actually a very profitable comic. I made a lot of money as a stand-up just doing the colleges and doing mm-hmm. the dates. I mean, I was I was very lucky. Um, but um, sorry, where were we just going? I just kind of lost track there for a second. 
Well, you were we were talking about how smart. I was saying how smart. it is smarts. It's smarts. business smarts and how you did it. And and yes, you have the experience of of touring and making money as a comic and oh, making the all these. Comic th- I'm sorry. Now I remember. Yes. Yeah, so I think that the, the sometimes clubs are made uh, often opened up by failed comics. Now, that's not always the case. Uh, like, there's uh, Vinnie Brand, the Stress Factory in New Jersey. He's a great comic. Uh, and I think that's why good comics who open up clubs and who had the ability to perform at some of the great clubs across North America and the world are able to take the best from each of those venues and recognize what makes a good performance venue. And that's why I think a comic who's played the good rooms and opens another room on his own is able to open up the best possible room because we know what makes comedy work best. You know, we know that a bar with a with a pinball machine in it and a pool table and a dartboard is not the ideal candidate for a good comedy show. But when you no. acoustically treat a room that the sound is equal in every corner of the room as it is to the front row of the audience, that's the uh, that's you know that's when you're in a real room. Well, that's very true too. And all of your clubs, I've I've had the the. Greatness, pleasure of, of getting to work the in your greatness. rooms. Yeah, that's the, the greatness. That's what I, we I'm, all say. We are all say high like right now, Buck. <laughs> I don't know why everybody's acting like I this. I went to college on a I've speech. I've got so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got a speech <laughs> scholarship, and I can't talk right now. It's all the secondhand smoke I'm getting from all you bastards. But no, there's so much difference in, yes, the room is, the rooms that you have, the audio visual, everything works perfectly. But that is that is only half of a comedy club. There's still all the insurance and the restaurant and all those things that, that most comics could not comprehend and, ah, that and run shit a good just club. works itself out. <laughs> you find no, people, I you find did. You're not wrong. Out. I yeah. did have to be... I mean, I was an idiot when I first opened. I knew nothing about running a restaurant, and I just jumped right into it, and I had to then teach myself on the fly because the way I opened was not the right way to open. And... Um, I learned it very quickly, and I taught myself the industry, and now I do understand and have knowledge in the food and beverage industry. I mean, I understand the science and the math. And What uh, was the first thing that uh, you ran into? What was that first roadblock in uh, food and beverage? Running, running the actual... Uh, the bar wasn't too bad. I mean, you can grasp how to handle bar sales pretty quickly, uh-huh. but um, doing food sales and never having operated a kitchen on my own... Uh, just because I know good food doesn't mean I know shit about how to produce it in a yeah, efficient, right? effective manner. And I did learn how to do that very quickly, but that was my biggest hurdle out of the gate. I knew nothing about food costing and, uh, you know, like I said, the science and the math of the uh, yeah. how, to, how to be profitable running a restaurant. Right. Yeah. Jack? Well, I, I mean, I love where we're at, but I want to ask some of the questions that you asked us. I, I'm really curious to find out what, who inspired 12-year-old, 15-year-old Rick Bronson to get on stage and tell jokes? Well, strangely enough, it wasn't anyone famous. Uh, what got me into magic is a buddy of mine my age lived in Ottawa at the time. I was living in Montreal, but our families were friends, and we'd frequently get together, and somehow he picked up learning how to do magic. Now, this is going back to a day where there was no internet. If you learned magic, you either went to the library and took out books on magic, or you went to the magic store and you bought a few magic tricks. And he showed me a few tricks and wouldn't tell me how to do it, and that pissed me off. So <laughs> I was just one of those kids that... 
I had to be the best at everything. So when he wouldn't teach me, I started researching it. I went to the library, started learning about it, found a magic store, started learning more about it, found my way into doing magic, and I just excelled at it. And like I said, became a professional magician, so much so that I was on the, I was the king of the magic geeks for a little while. I was on the <laughs> cover of Genie Magazine. Oh, wow. Which is like the well, international magi con, con, uh, magician's magazine. Basically. So was he your only friend in school? Is <laughs> Yes, he is wasn't even in my school. <laughs> 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 my school. But your pen pals? But uh, <laughs> he was responsible for starting me down my arts career because at that point I was really big into sports. Like the same thing that motivated me to be good at entertainment, I was motivated to be in sports because I was the chubby kid. But I was going to be like the chubby kid who was like the best ball player. Yeah. And, uh, and I was. I turned out to be, I was a really, really great ball so player. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, so no real stand-ups. You don't remember really watching stand-ups? No, it was. And like I said, when I was 15, what yeah. got me on a comedy stage was, just, was my was buddy magic. doing comedy. Uh, do, but was my buddy doing comedy, comedy at the yeah, variety yeah. show. And so nothing, I can't say any real comics were the reason I got into comedy. At that point, I don't really even knew that I understood what stand-up comedy was. It's really not, we, you know, there was no Netflix. There was no internet. It's not like something a 14-year-old stumbles into. Because that's a world that's really, at that point, was an 18 or 21 plus, because it's a lot of swearing and cursing. And yeah. 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 Well, there, was the, there was the A&E at the Improv on TV. Even at the Improv, yeah. Do, I do you think that's that, yeah. maybe why you had a lot of success right off the bat? Is because you were, obviously you were good at entertaining people you, you felt comfortable at a young age getting in front of people but then again you, you, you weren't mimicking anybody you weren't really going off of anybody you're being yourself you know you're you're falling probably into your voice faster maybe because you had no real influences yeah but I mean I once I did get into the industry I mean I was quickly made aware of people yeah, um, guess, and yeah. uh, became fans and I was also quickly uh, you know being in Montreal and growing up there and being part of the Just for Laughs Festival, I yeah. was quickly immersed in a world where, I mean, at 18, 19 years old, I was partying with Sam Kinison till 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> what's that like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a story we'll save for another podcast. <laughs> that's not a that's not an opening story for mom and dad to hear on episode one <laughs> of what transpired the night their little boy hung out with one of the greats. One of the greats for sure. But that's kind of one of the reasons we're doing the podcast too is is to show the evolution of comedy. Like there wasn't. You know, Comedy Central back then. There wasn't the internet. There wasn't all those things. No. And now... And, and like I said, the biggest difference I find, I mean, uh, it's fortunate and unfortunate. I was fortunate that I was... A, because I lived in a, my comedy, I was at my biggest in kind of a pre-internet world, I was able to tour the same material for a lengthy amount of time. Whereas in this day and age with the internet and all these TV specials and, and streaming specials, you cannot tour uh, the same material for more than a year and a half or 18 months or until that special is out and everyone's seen it. Yep. And yep. then you're starting all over again. So I was lucky in that respect. But then again, I was unlucky that when I was at the top of my game and had an opportunity to build a, probably a bigger cult following than I did have, um, the internet... I was just kind of there, but not really doing what it does today. So right. no one really understood 
how to use the machine to be the marketing magician that There's it still is. Still a right lot of pets dot com and that kind of right. stuff. Yeah, it was yeah. really all about the dot coms at that point. Well, it's, yeah. it's hard to tell jokes when you're buffering the whole time. You lose the <laughs> exactly the when you're yeah, yeah, yeah. you're waiting for the breast to show up on a fourteen four motor. <laughs> yeah, on your four eighty six. Yeah, screaming. But yeah, that's um, that's kind of the long and short of it. That's uh. Well, but you've had that, and that's the greatest thing about this too. Is is we have Rick that's that's toured with. Yeah, I've been pretty lucky. I've, I mean, I've toured with the Smothers Brothers. I've opened for Phyllis Diller. I worked on a motivational series of shows where I ended up working with the likes of Deepak Chopra, uh, Doctor Phil, Bill Clinton, President Clinton, um, Lance Armstrong. So I've been uh, I've been very fortunate that in my li- lifetime. Um, I've been, uh, uh, you know, I've had an opportunity to spend some time and chat with some of the world's uh, most interesting people and uh, some uh, world leaders and influential people and, uh, uh, you know, the type of people that you're almost afraid to have a conversation with because you know they are way fucking smarter than you are. Right. <laughs> and uh, I still, to that day, I remember meeting Bill Clinton for the first time and hearing him speak. And, uh, Democrat or Republican, don't matter. This motherfucker was one of the smoothest talkers, and he was so eloquent, oh, yeah. and yeah. he knew his numbers and knew his stats and didn't do it with a teleprompter or a piece of paper in front of him. He was so smart. I was scared to talk stand-up comedy with him because I felt he probably knew more about it. <laughs> and he would be now having a podcast called The Crack House Podcast. <laughs> so what was it like? When uh, when you were transitioning from magic to prop comedy, like are there? Are well, there... I went. I didn't transition from magic to prop comedy. I just went from magic uh, for kids parties, and I did a magic comedy show yeah. at the uh, at the club. It wasn't like I immediately went turned into fucking carrot top. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was. I, I was when, more I think just when you say prop comedy, people <laughs> get a misconception of what that really can yeah, be. Yeah. Anything that uses a shiny object on stage, whether it's a magic trick or whether it's carrot top building some kind of bizarre device, it's all prop. That's prop. It's not comedy. necessarily like you're going to an open mic, dragging a crate of stuff behind a pizza no, place to do. No, a, but if but if you're a stand-up that budget. only talks and you're a purist, anybody that uses anything on the stage is a yeah, prop. Comic. Even if you bring your guitar, like or you know, people yeah, think if you do music, you're a prop. A comic. prop. Yeah. yeah. Bucks just trying to. Just, Bucks just wants to know because he's trying to leapfrog over the magician. I have a rubber chicken. I'm trying to work into my act. That's what I was really trying to dig at. Yeah. <laughs> yep, Buck. We're gonna uh, we're gonna have to see some video. <laughs> Send us some tape, please. So uh, the ultimate question, though, for someone that's done, you know, we're I'm I'm new in this. Four years in, you've been doing this a long time. You've done amazing things. You've done all these great things. What are what are what are goals for someone? that's done as much as you have now. What are my goals now? Yeah. Well, now that I'm on the uh, ownership side, uh, I'm really keen on developing talent. So we're branched out into uh, management. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we're still keen on expanding our uh, our comedy holdings and opening up in more markets because we really are passionate about producing comedy. Uh, my wife, Tammy, and I, one thing I'll say about... Uh, you know, we both we might disagree on a lot of things, but we both agree that this is an art form that should be heralded, and that we should be. Uh, uh, you know, we often see other venues that will give tickets away and mm-hmm. paper the room, and we understand that needs to be done to a certain degree. But we think it's being done to overkill proportions today. 
uh, because we believe comedy is a type of art you damn well should be paying for. for yeah. um, it is a, one of the hardest arts. Writing comedy and writing jokes that you can make 300 strangers relate to is one of the hardest things you will ever have to be asked to do. Uh, I don't care about dance, music, whatever art form. You know what? Writing a good joke, I think, is the hardest thing to do. It is way easier to write a four-minute song than it is to write a 30-second joke. Oh, absolutely. I agree, 100%. And if, the, and if the crowd isn't into your song, you just keep playing and it's fine. It's yeah. not like they're getting angry. They already came to see the song. I don't know, man. You ever seen uh, that Patrick Swayze movie where they're whipping the beer bottles at him? Oh, that's a good point. Roadhouse. <laughs> you talking about Roadhouse. Yeah, yeah. That is a true story. I think I, was, I lived that at one point with the... The uh, chicken wire around the stage. Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, I assumed every oh, bar in Texas was like house. Matt, Roadhouse. you're flashing back. That was your parents' homemade crib. <laughs> oh, that's what <laughs> yeah. it is. Shaking the bars. 